0: Campaigner for women's rights, Bill Cosby. Welcome to the herd mentality. Thank you. Congratulations on your new role with the UN, overseeing new binding intercontinental legislation to protect women from sexual assault. You must have done a significant amount of research for the role. Lots of paperwork. How many binders full of women would you have accumulated? I.
1: Don't no, because I lost count.
0: Have you collected any drug samples for research purposes? I have a ton. When did you acquire these?
1: Uh, he, they, they gave them to me in September.
0: Hmm now you're actively fundraising to set up a 24-hour hotline for sexual assault victims.
1: Yes I do. What's the
0: hotline called? I'm not sure that they will come like that. Now that seems tasteless. Well, what do the staff say when a phone rings? No no we don't answer that. So your staff just ignore the calls for help? There's no response. But what if these victims have evidence and testimony that could be taken to court? None of that will be shown. It seems like this whole operation is counterproductive. Final question.
1: You're a hypocrite.
0: No, just one last question. There is no comment about that. Listen to me carefully. Listen
1: to me carefully.
0: Look, can I just ask, what would motivate someone to drug a woman in order to take advantage of it?
1: I love to be loved.
0: Hmm... Bill Cosby, thanks for joining us on The Herd Mentality. Okay, thank you. I'd love to have you on another time. I don't want to compromise your integrity. Anything else to add?
1: I bought this thing, and then I there's the rope and the pulley, and, and I went to the place where you buy wood, and these are sticks, very light sticks, and they shaved and made them smooth, put the tape around, so that the little kids, you know, you what?
0: Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic, non-weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing... Entertain you with some scintillating rep IT. This is a listener-supported show, and you can help boost quality and quantity at HerdMentalitypodcast.com. And then click on support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show, and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook, and Google, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality, and joining me, I have a prolific author, Chris Matheson. Welcome, Chris.
2: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Is it really you're just saying that?
2: We'll see. (laughs) I'm optimistic.
0: One could even say it's, um... Excellent! Was that tasteless? (laughs) Chris, what have you written?
2: Uh, well, there you go. I mean, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, a movie called Rapture Palooza, which is making fun of the idea of the Rapture, came out a couple of years ago with Anna Kendricks and a book. It's book. coming out called the story of God
0: very well the story of God now upon opening this and delving into it Right at the very beginning. It says based on yeah. <laughs> or, or a true story and then it says the Bible afterwards and from there I think we know what we're going to get.
2: Yeah, I hope so It is pretty much based on the Bible I mean, I did adhere reasonably closely to to the events of, of the good book,
0: yeah. Last night I sat down with a lady friend and we watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I mentioned this to you off air. I think you have a well, a, a sense of humour and a, an interest in education, making things uh, entertaining, so so that people can walk away with this, having learned something. I learned stuff about historical figures from the film last night that I didn't realise that. Uh, <laughs> You know, Socrates is a handy football player.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But Very few people knew that.
0: And the book is sort of a commentary on the Bible, but a a retelling of the Bible from God's perspective. Yeah. But going so far as to even cite sources. So, when something horrible happens in the Bible, you sort of word it in a way that makes it very easy to understand and amusing. But then you can go and have a look at Leviticus and find out what's involved in dashing children against rocks, Deuteronomy, etc.
2: Yeah, right. Right, exactly. My hope was to take this guy who is hard to understand. He's very mercurial. He's very volatile. He's very he seems very impulsive. He's of course super destructive and punitive. And then occasionally sort of seems to feel bad for what he's done. And so he's nice for a little while. Not for long, usually. (laughs) Then he's he's mean again. I I wanted to try to understand this guy and get next, you know, and kind of get in his head a little bit. Like, what is happening with this character? Who is this guy?
0: He really is just a guy.
2: If you push religious people on an issue they don't feel comfortable with, they, they will often fall back on God's mysterious ways. We can't really understand because there's something inscrutable and unknowable about him but i think that's bullshit because he's it's very obvious he's very human scaled he has all of the emotional needs and desires upsets of a man he's very human scaled he he gets mad he's jealous he th- this idea that there's something unknowable about him it's just not on the page he's a guy He's a character. He's the big man in the sky, and therefore he can be interpreted that way.
0: No, I'd go so far as to say that people who haven't read the Bible cover to cover, atheists, theists alike, this is a good read because it follows sequentially the Bible, but it's yeah. a, a, far less of a punish to read in that it's about a hundred and what twenty odd pages, and you yeah. can knock it over in about four hours on on your commute into work. It's it's a lot of fun, but at the end of it, you have a sense of Timing throughout the book You know, you cover off Genesis at the beginning And it just follows it all sequentially So you do have an understanding of what's taken place Right, you know, by the time you finished up
2: Yeah, I wanted to try to track him What is the story here? I mean, presumably he's just sitting in the dark if you accept the basic narrative i think you have to accept that he's been sitting unless he just winked into existence and i don't, I don't think any realist uh, religious people believe that i think they they think he's eternal right i mean that's built into it of course he's eternal but our universe our reality is not eternal therefore he was just kind of sitting in the darkness. Forever, more or less, doing nothing, you know, just by himself. And then for his own personal reasons, he wanted ah, presumably company, activity, something to, you know, be interested in.
0: Somebody to experiment on.
2: Yeah, something to kind of something to hate other than himself, because really he seems so consumed with self-hatred to me. Uh, I mean, as I read it over, we're made in his image. We're told that right at the beginning. He's only interested in us, and he hates us. He hates us. He hates almost everybody. I mean, he likes almost nobody. <laughs> uh, he likes almost no one. He, he likes one group of people. He right? doesn't. does It's like. not obvious why that is, but he, but he likes almost nobody, and even them he doesn't like. I mean, he's harder <laughs> on on the on them his own little tribe than he is on anybody else. He doesn't like anybody. He just seems to hate mankind and mankind's made in his image. So there you go. You know, <laughs> uh, to me, the guy hates himself. Well, he, doesn't, and I, he doesn't
0: like the, the people. He doesn't like himself. He's not a big fan of Satan, but worse than no. Satan is portrayed in this book are the women.
2: Yeah. He, he has no use for women. I find it funny throughout the book that women, very, very few women even get names Uh, Right from the beginning, you know, like he doesn't even bother to name Eve. Like Eve's not named by him. Like Adam names her. She doesn't even get a name. He just calls her a woman. He just doesn't give a shit, you know? And right from the beginning, she's bad news, man. She is bad news. The moment she arrives, I'm amazed that anybody who reads this book seriously buys it at this point. I am utterly flabbergasted that any woman could read this book and buy it because – it's really just so anti-woman. I think the women are—they're just they—they're—they're they're unclean and they're impure. And he has—he has he, very little regard for them, you know. And even the women who are kind of semi-attractive—and there's very, very few of them, very, very few—you know, there is no there's female I can think David, <laughs> N- not not even close. Sarah, you know, Sarah's like reasonably attractive, you know, not that much because then she turns, you know, she's really kind of mean to her slave Mm. and, you know, she's not that good either.
0: The only people, or the only thing, I think, that ranks lower than women that didn't even score a mention throughout the creation process is the the poor reptiles. (laughs)
2: If you read this thing carefully, it's just so riddled with gig- holes that you could drive a massive truck through. I mean, there's so many things that don't add up, and among the many things that don't add up are all of the things that he never claims to have created. He never claims to have created reptiles, and he claims everything. He's a, he's such a braggart, right? <laughs> he takes credit for fucking everything. This guy. All he wants to do is brag and and talk about how great he is. But he never takes credit for having created reptiles, which raises the question. Well, who created reptiles? I mean, is it Satan? Is it you know? Is it like who did that? Especially all the, the sort of polytheistic implications of we should you know stop them from doing this and we should stop them from doing that. In Genesis, it, it raises the possibility that he's just one of many at the beginning, and he just sort of seized like in some weird coup just took on the role of God, in quotes, and claimed to have all this power, and doesn't, really. That there's others who, who have an equal, including, uh, you know, his big nemesis, Baal, who may have power. It's not really clear. I ended up thinking, okay, this guy's one of three things, and they're all funny to me. Number one, he's a fraud. He's not who he says he is. He's kind of the Wizard of Oz. He doesn't have the power that he says he does, and there's a lot of stories in the book that would suggest that. I mean, the end of Job, I think, is awesome that way because he just does it's so wizard of ozzy you know he just sort of waves his hands around and pretends like he's fixed everything and he hasn't done anything he doesn't do anything and he constantly wants things to happen that don't happen so potentially he's a fraud and he knows he's a fraud and it just freaks him out and it makes him enraged and he's got some power clearly you know he can stop the sun apparently so he's you know he's got some power but he's kind of a fraud. the second one which is funny in a different way is he's a fool it's like the will ferrell version of Of God, where he does have all the power. He really does. But he's kind of an idiot, you know, who doesn't think things through. And he's just constantly sort of shooting himself in the foot and then just getting so mad that he just didn't think of something. A a biblical
0: Kim Jong-un.
2: Yeah. He's a fool. He didn't have the forethought to create a sister for Cain and Abel, right? He Hmm. just didn't even think of it. You know, it's just like, or maybe dumbass start with two families maybe what about that that's so impossible you know start with two families no he's got to start with you know a mother and a father and two sons that's brilliant for populating the world and then he just sort of has to magically create a tribe across the river instantaneously because he didn't think of it
0: but then so that's the
2: fool guy and then the third one is kind of my favorite and it's the one that i think the book supports the most and that's that he's he's really kind of a self-hating freak He really is powerful, but he wants to punish himself. He wants things to go badly. He hates himself so much that he's created a reality that he knows is going to torment him and make him miserable. And it does again and again and again. And he knows it'll never work. It'll never work because we're like him and we're never going to do what he wants. And he just keeps going going because it's a punishment game he wants to punish us and he wants to punish himself because he hates himself so i think they're all great i think the the last one's the most interesting dramatically but i think they're all funny
0: what do you think the fascination is with gonads
2: yeah that's a big question because he certainly is the question i just kept circling around is like why does this guy hate himself so much why does he hate himself so much all right he's kind of feckless at times and he's he sort of seems impotent at times but what is it that makes him hate himself so much i think he's a repressed homosexual he's obsessed with balls i mean and and penises i mean he he really talks about them a lot he's very concerned with (laughs) balls being perfect what is that about like why are you so obsessed with like balls I and mean, what is the deal i mean he has no interest in women he never talks about women's bodies never except that they're impure and unclean and you know and like they should be segregated when they're you know menstruating because it's so unclean you know but balls oh man he circles right you know what's his big request i mean what's the big thing he wants he wants uh men to get circumcised mm. he's very very interested in how that penis looks <laughs> he's he's uh and he hates homosexuality so much oh my god God, he hates homosexuality. Sodom and Gomorrah, he's willing to just nuke these towns, which presumably have women, right? I mean, they have to have women. And what these women have done, they just had the misfortune of living in towns where every single male is homosexual. And they chose it, right? I mean, he didn't make them that way because he hates it. You know, they all chose to be, you know, the three-year-old boys and 90-year-old men, they all chose to be homosexual. But he hates these towns or at least he hates sodom we don't even know what's wrong with gomorrah i mean it's ridiculous we don't even know what they did in gomorrah he doesn't even look i mean at least he sends his angels into sodom to provoke the gay rapists which they do
0: we don't even know anything
2: about gomorrah he just nukes it it's like fuck it blow it up you know
0: (laughs) without Uh, warning either these people yeah without
2: any warning he never said homosexuality was bad he never told them that he never did. It's just like, nope, shoot first, kill him, and then afterwards, tell him what the new rule is. Yeah, it's ridiculously unfair. But I think it just reveals what a self-hating, kind of repressed sexuality he has. And he clearly does have a sexuality. You could not possibly say that this character does not have a sexual inner life. He does. He talks about sex again and again and again. It's very important to him what we do sexually he thinks about it he's thought about it it matters to him and it tends to be you know really his main prohibitions are like don't fuck goats and and you know men don't fuck each other and that he doesn't care what women do he doesn't even care (laughs) presumably the prohibitions against homosexuality or against women too it's hard to believe they are He so little cares what they do i don't even think he'd give a shit i've
0: got a live tweet that's just come in from a listener of the show called Ray Comfort. And, yeah. uh, he's questioning 1 Samuel 6-5 about, uh, God also very much enjoyed the fact that the Philistines made golden hemorrhoids to appease <laughs> his people. And Ray would like to know a little bit more about this golden hemorrhoid arrangement. What have you got?
2: it's ludicrous. I mean, it's ludicrous that God, the creator of the universe, punishes people by making their anuses blow out. That's one of his big moves for a while. He really gets into it, and it's very, very effective, to the degree that some people even die from hemorrhoids. I don't know how you die of hemorrhoids, actually, but uh, a a lot of the, uh, uh, I think it's the Ashdods, die of hemorrhoids. And the Philistines, I think it's terrified of these hemorrhoids that God creates, which can kill, apparently, <laughs> you know, you know that, that they're going to pay off his people, right? Because they're scared. They've got God on there. They've got the creator of the universe on their side. So they could just give them gold, right? Like, like here, you know, it's the payoff here. Here's gold. But they don't. They make like golden buttholes. And that's about the Philistines, I think, as far as I can tell. I mean, as far as I know, God doesn't control the Philistines. He can mind control oh, anybody. Could. I mean, yeah. he mind controls Pharaoh. So maybe he mind controls the Philistines and makes them want to make golden buttholes, which is really funny, which is actually hilarious. I'm going to control you and make you make golden buttholes because I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, or they just do it because They're so scared. It's like, what's going to appease God? What's going to get him to not give us deadly hemorrhoids? Well, let's make golden buttholes. And that's what they do. Uh, either way, I don't know. Is there a way of looking at that that's not absurd? I
0: uh... <laughs> can't speak to that. Whenever God appears in this book, he always has this sort of inner monologue about, well, you know, I could put all of this to bed. I could just rock up and take the form of a human being. And in, in some instances, he does do this. But the rest of the time, he goes, no, I need to appear before a whole bunch of people and really convince them that I'm God, let's turn into a cloud. Let's (laughs) burn from bushes. Because that's really what's going to convince them.
2: That's what's going to do it. With his perfect understanding of human psychology, he grasps that rather than show up as a man with godlike powers and and show up and and basically, you know, lift a giant boulder or do whatever, because he's God, he could do it. No, he's not going to do that. No, what he's going to actually do is he's going to show up in the shape of the cloud. That'll do it. That'll prove it. Much more persuasive than him, you know, literally showing up. Because when he shows up as a man, which he does, he does a lot early on, actually. I mean, you know, in the early part of Genesis, you know, he's walking around in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I mean, he's just a dude walking around the garden like, hey, where are you? (laughs) <laughs> I love it when he says, hey, where are you? you know, like, you don't know? Or are you just trying to scare him? I think the
0: apologists have him. answers for that. This is how you would treat a child. Their oh, when he says, where him, are yeah, you? Oh, he yeah, he knows him. where they are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he know, where, of course, if you're going to give this guy credit for any kind of omnipotence, you have to believe that he knows. I mean, if he doesn't know where Adam's hiding from him in a garden, then he really doesn't have any omnipotence. So yeah, I guess he would know. Mm. But when he shows up as a man, as he does with Abraham, he doesn't do anything impressive. He never does. He never does anything impressive.
0: Well, he makes some requests that are impressive. I mean, uh, what was the one with Ezekiel where he requests some Really odd things of Ezekiel (laughs) is some beard work. And then he basically finishes up his list of requests by saying, look, here's a steaming Richard III. Here's a poo. Mm -hmm. Would you mind just chowing down on it for me? Uh And Ezekiel naturally does.
2: Ezekiel does. (sighs) Yeah, absolutely. Ezekiel is clearly insane. Ezekiel is the kind of person, as a lot of the prophets are, they'd be locked up now. You know, these are like people from – these are escaped mental patients, really. Isaiah feels like that. Jeremiah is something different. He feels, to me, a lot more like a kind of a failed schemer. Ezekiel is a lunatic, man. I mean, he's a raving – lunatic. And I just can't believe that God, the God that we know would just not approve of the way Ezekiel talks because Ezekiel is like, refers to like horse cocks, you know, and stuff like that. God would, God's, I don't think God would would like that.
0: And the 10th commandment, last one, this is a tricky one. There's a lot of deliberation that God makes in coming to what to command of Moses as he's writing these down.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: He's got his checklist there. Don't rape. That'd be a good one. No, actually, no, it wouldn't. (laughs)
2: yeah no never mind that
0: runs through the whole list and this is the sort of thing that comedians have been grappling with for decades this sort of topic the stuff that didn't make the ten commandments but would that be high up there do you think don't rape
2: don't rape Mm. i think that it would be very wouldn't it just make you look at the book a little bit differently if that was one of the ten commandments Mm. i think it would every now and then he does something where i think even an atheist can look at it and go yeah yeah okay that's all right that's better he's not pure evil, you know, it's like be nice to widows, be nice to orphans, be nice to blind people. Yeah, don't rape would sort of fall in that category. But is it there?
0: No. It'd be counter to some of the other instructions he gives plenty of other tribes. <laughs> go and destroy the Amalekites and Midianites kill off all the the yeah I love it with the Amalekites
2: (laughs) he's like the Amalekites he hates them so much he just blusters and blusters it's like oh I'm gonna get them I'm gonna get them I hate them I'm gonna wipe them out I'm gonna wipe them out and then I forget who it is I'd have to look it up but at one point he says to whoever's in charge it's after Joshua he finally just says go wipe them out you know it's like after all this big talk it's like wait a minute you've said you were gonna do it the whole time you know it's like here's my solution Go, go take them out. Go kill
0: them. We discussed this a little bit uh, yesterday off air when I first met you, so today's the second time we're speaking. But yeah. We're discussing comedians and stand-up comics and uh, the topic of religion in here. Atheists, they make better comedians, do you think?
2: Oh, absolutely. Why is that? Humor, laughter, they tend to be, I would say, in in human nature, they're almost antithetical to religious beliefs, and they're almost antithetical to accepting authority. The nature of laughter, good laughter, or not all laughter, a lot of laughter, is it's questioning authority. It's challenging authority. I don't accept that. I'm going to poke at that. I'm going to find what's funny in that. That's one of the big thing, one of the big purposes it serves, I think. I'm going to overthrow that. I don't buy that. That's That claim is too big. I'm going to poke at that. Well, if you're religious and you believe that stuff, if you accept authority with a capital A, you're stuck. You know the truth, capital T. You can't be, let's say, irreverent. You're reverent to start with and comedy good comedy is and always has been irreverent you could go back in the history of the world and you could probably find some really funny people who were religious a a long time ago uh jonathan swift i think was a religious man i think he was a i don't know a a pastor or reverend or something That's a long time ago that's almost 300 years ago and we know a lot more i don't think jonathan swift would be a, a believer at this point given what we know versus what we what he knew in 1720 or 1730 at this point in time to believe to accept the absolute authority you now how could how could you possibly make funny not make funny things. Not to mention the fact that you don't want to do anything offensive. You don't want, you know, there's there's the big man in the sky and he's watching you. And literally it, he's watching you all the time. Any moment this thing could end. You could be judged. You're being judged. And you really should not say or do things that are offensive. Okay, that's it. That's, it's over. You can't be funny. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not possible. Like, if you read the prohibitions on laughter. Well, I mean, you know, the Bible, I mean, like they don't even believe in it, right? Like it's bad. I mean, all the laughs in the Bible, they're all mean. They're all derisive. They're all scornful. There's like no no pleasant laughs in the Bible. And, you know, somebody like Paul, he just seems like really anti-laughter. He just doesn't believe in it. He, he just thinks it's kind of bad. He's kind of funny. He's he's snarky and he's sarcastic. He's actually weirdly sort of Got a sense of humor, he doesn't think it's a good thing. (laughs) You know, you got to free yourself of that. You can't accept absolute authority, absolute truth, and make funny things. It's not possible. I mean, I don't know if Gervais is the funniest man in the world. He's one of them. He's (laughs) one of them. He's definitely in the top five or ten. He is a tremendously, tremendously funny man. You know, that guy doesn't accept any authority. They don't go together. They're mortal enemies. They are Cobra Mongoose. Religion hates laughter laughter hates religion i think it's been that way from the start and religion cowed laughter for a long long time david hume was scared to question religion and that's just a little bit more than 200 years ago right? That's not long ago. It's like, this is a very recent thing that we can laugh at them. We can laugh at them openly. Oh my God, they hate it. Oh my God, they hate it. They hate it. And they know exactly what it means. They know how corrosive that is. They know how acidic that is. They know that's the end of it. That's the end of them on some level. That's why they tried to shut it down for so damn long, but they can't. Cat's out of the bag
0: now. And it's an important thing to do. I mean, if we oh, can, if God, we can yeah. ridicule and satirize and make fun of all of these insane beliefs, yeah, then absolutely. it diminishes the appeal for others to go and want to join. I mean, if we were able to have some sort of humor-driven propaganda campaign, dropping leaflets, ridiculing suicide bombers all over the Middle East mm-hmm. in such a way that it changed the perception of the suicide bomber just I, I think that at some, some
2: point thinking. you know yeah right I mean at this point we're sort of hands-off right where we're a lot of us are really backed off with Islam because you know we don't want to get killed I guess they're intimidating because they're so mad you know, they're uh, so bad, and they're so I puffed up. <laughs> and then, you know, it's a lot of bullying and a lot of intimidation and, and bluster. This stuff needs to be laughed at and this stuff needs to be put in its place. And nothing does that more efficiently, more economically, more precisely, and more bloodlessly, actually, than humor. That's kind of, I think, one of the big reasons why we've got it in us, why we laugh. Nothing can deflate authority like humor
0: so listeners of the show make the world a better place go and do something amusing at the expense of somebody's silly (laughs) belief Awesome. Uh, Chris, where can we get your book when it's released? I believe it's next month.
2: Yes, it is. Well, I know it's on Amazon. It's being published by Pitchstone Publishing Company. So at the Pitchstone website. I did my narrated version of it. So if you're inclined to want to listen to it, you can do that too.
0: Mm. So the story of God, final question, if if people were to, say, help you out, Chris, by walking into a bookstore and picking up the story of God and putting it in a different section of the bookstore, where would you like to see it?
2: Wow. Um, Next to the Bible, w- do you think? <laughs> Boy, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. <laughs> that would, that would be amusing. <laughs> And then I think it would make some believers' heads explode, which is all right by me.
0: Excellent. Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Here's a tweet by Chris Krasmensky I am atheism, and I say that to reason is to investigate, to investigate is to question, to question is to defy, and to defy is to be free. Follow Chris at C-E-K Books and grab his latest work, All These Quiet Places, a collaboration with Jen August about domestic violence on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the line from a state the size of Texas, it's Queensland up in Australia, I'm joined by Adam and Chris, how are you?
3: really well thanks for having us Adam
0: Adam did you drop in and out there yeah
1: good
3: thanks (laughs) good to be here
0: fantastic now are you guys on social media where could people go and find you
3: We're at um, www.jodymatthewsappeal.com, J-O-D-E, Matthewsappeal.com. And we're also on Facebook under Jodie Matthews Cancer and Family Appeal.
0: Very well. So there's a lot of clues there. Why are you here?
3: (laughs) Last Saturday or a couple of Saturdays ago, Saturday the 4th of July um, at Brisbane Skeptic Camp, I launched what's quite unusual in Australia, which is an appeal to the secular community to assist an individual from our community. community who's in need. I think this is the first large fundraiser that our community's done and oh Adam they've done a fantastic job.
1: That's One the of our on community,
3: Jody Matthews, has stage 4B metastatic cervical cancer. And she needs drug treatment that isn't covered by our public health system. And uh, Adam, her husband, reached out to me and said, can we help? Can we go to our own community? And I said, let's give it a go. And in three weeks, we've raised over $22,000. That's fantastic. That's huge. It is enormous. And we are just so grateful to the atheist human secular and uh, sceptical communities for, for really assisting us with this. And we need more, which is why we're talking to as many people as we can. But the wonderful thing is because of the generosity of our community, we've been able to start Jody on the first round of a drug that will extend her life.
0: So it's not covered by Australia's backwards third world medical system?
3: Well, it is covered for some cancers, but at this stage, not for the particular cancer that Jody has.
0: So she just got The wrong type of cancer. That's. Yep. uh, But Adam, this is your wife, and it's not the first time you guys have been affected by cancer.
1: Yeah, that's right. When I was uh, 21, I was diagnosed with what was then an incurable cancer. I was halfway through my undergrad degree. You know, at the time, I was told that it would take my life. I was told they didn't know how long I had. This was not something that could be cured. I went through various cycles of chemotherapy as you know, the cancer develops immunity to chemotherapy. You gradually need more and more of it. And just as the chemo was uh, getting to the point where it wasn't working anymore, I was admitted to a um, one of the first trials for a not just a new drug but a new class of cancer fighting drug the monoclonal antibodies yeah so basically they tried it on rats and then they tried it on me fortunately it worked for both of us and um, as a result i'm i'm here to to, to prove that science and, and big pharma does work
3: <laughs> and adam the amazing thing is that this new kind of drug that worked for adam matthews is the same kind of drug That may well work now for Jody, and if we can put her through a course of treatment here and then get her onto a Yale Medical School trial in the United States for a drug called nivolumab, it is very possible that we could put her into remission as well, despite the fact that her disease is now quite advanced.
0: Mm. So part of the scenario is raising money to first get her onto this drug in Australia, and then the second part of the fundraiser is all about getting on a plane and heading over to somewhere where they're a little bit more flexible in what drugs are put into what sort of person.
1: Yeah, look, there is in Australia a bit of a a funding black hole for new drugs. When the drugs are first being researched, um, the drug companies pick up the tab during the trial stage and then at some point down the track, after they've been proven to work and proven to be cost-effective, our government adds them to the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, um, in which case they're quite cost-effective for patients. But in between, there's this funding black hole where drugs have been shown to work the science is in but the funding isn't in and and that's where our system relies on individuals patients and and their communities raising money for the cutting edge medicines that uh, you know otherwise people go without
0: mm. How's your wife coping with all of this and how she responded to the response from the Atheist community?
1: Oh, she's overwhelmed uh, by the, the response we we never could have imagined that we'd raise so much money so quickly. Our initial target was to raise enough for the first 6 Doses of the Avastin, which uh, Joed needs to do this Avastin course before she's eligible for the other trial drug in the U.S. They'd give it first six doses and then test. Whether that's working, if it's working, then the protocol is to receive 18 doses. So the first six cost $20,000, and that's with Roche Pharmaceuticals picking up the tab for a a third of the doses. So, yeah, $5,000 a pop, it's quite expensive, but um, it could well save my wife's life.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think even Charlie Sheen has spent that sort of money on tablets, so...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
0: Yeah, and look, Joan's
1: handling the chemo really well. When she was first diagnosed a year ago, she had to have daily radiation treatment as well as weekly chemo, which was pretty gruelling. I I have first-hand experience on the wrong end of the needle. It's tough, but she is handling the treatment really well. She is responding to the treatment. But conventional chemo is not expected to be a cure. It's only a way of managing the the disease. and, And unfortunately, that maintenance regime becomes less effective over time.
0: Once again, if people wanted to chip in and help out your wife, Adam, what's the best way to do so?
1: Visit our website www.jodematthewsappeal.com, so J-O-D-E, Matthews with two T's.
0: Fantastic. Chris, you're really driving this as hard as you can.
1: I am. How's I am, that all
0: but going? But we've got
3: some wonderful support. You know, We've had the support of the Council of Australian Humanists, the Brisbane Skeptic Society, the Humanist Society of Queensland, the Sunshine Coast Atheists, the Atheist Foundation of Australia and the Facebook-based Women Without Religion and the Secular Coalition of Australia have all got on board with this and that's made an enormous difference to our reach and to our fundraising and, frankly, to our credibility.
0: Mm, it's nice to be able to herd the cats. Well done.
3: The cats have performed absolutely magnificent, but we're hoping now that the international community will take this up and we'll get some more donations from overseas because we are trying to get Jody to America and uh, it may well be the Americans who save us. So if people can go to www.jodymatthewsappeal.com, and that's Jody, J-O-D-E, we'd really appreciate their assistance.
0: Yes, well, about two-thirds of this audience is from the U.S., but guys, thank you very much for coming on the show.
3: Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks, Adam.
4: Hello, Herd Mentalists. It is I, Nick Morgan-Moore, from the Imaginary Friends Show, Dotcom Podcast, and the podcast Good Advice. Thank you for tuning in to the Herd Mentality and supporting the show. You can continue Continue, Continue is a weird word, but you can continue your support of the show by going to patreon.com forward slash herdmentality like Nick, Kendall, Tim, and Dan did this week. It allows Adam more free time to produce better and better content, which Let's face it, he really needs to do. Patreon is an easy way to contribute a dollar or two per episode, setting yourself a limit as to how much you want to spend per month, and then you get billed one single time at the end of the month. So it's a good way to just do that, support a thing. It allows Herd Mentality to do other good things, like giving 10% to women in developing countries through Kiva. This week, Lucero in Peru got a contribution towards buying a computer for her university course. Her goal is to finish studying industrial administration and then start her own business. The show alone has now made 60 of these microloans via Kiva.org, and you can go check it out by searching for Herd Mentality on their site. So yeah, do stuff, get involved, support, 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 hooray! I was Nick Morganmore, that's my name.